praises to God together.
to invite the ushers forward to assist us in giving back to God. It's 
to spend time praying together. The altar is open if you'd like to come and join me and offer your prayers. As we pray, please be seated. Father, it is an awesome thing to contemplate the cross. To know that Christ came for us. That Christ went to the cross willingly, full of love, so that we might know relationship with you and freedom from our sin. And Father, as we gather on this day, we give you thanks that the cross was not the end. We come today to celebrate the empty tomb. Father, we worship you because death could not hold Christ. And we pray you will fill each of us with the love and the grace and the power of the crucified and risen Christ. Father, this morning, we know that there are many needs in our world, in our lives. We think about so many people in this world who don't know Christ, who have no idea of what you've done for us in him. And we pray that you will continue to make it possible for more and more people to hear so that they might live in the joy and peace of Christ that we have. We pray, Father, for the work of your church around the world, and especially in the places where opposition and persecution are common. We ask for your protection, your grace, your help. And that as your people live for Christ, may the love of Christ be seen even by those who are persecuting them. We pray, Father, for your continued help where the Ebola virus and other diseases are out of control and are wreaking so much havoc, pain, grief, loss. Thank you for the work of World Hope in Sierra Leone. We pray that you will continue to help them as they work to provide water resources. We pray that you will continue to bless the nation of Sierra Leone as they try to rebuild uh, infrastructures of health and education and so many things that have been broken and torn by war and so much else. Help the people in this country to know that you love them. Father, we pray for the needs that we represent here. And we ask that You will continue to help us in our grief. We pray today, especially for Eric Curry and his family, the death of his father on Friday. We ask you to comfort them. Give them strength in this time of loss. We pray for all who are wrestling with issues of health. And we pray for Beulah Avery and Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, for Bev for Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Tim Nichols, for Isla Shea and Edna Howard, 
for Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar and for the others who are on our minds and our hearts this morning. We ask for your healing grace. Father, we pray that you will make us a church that loves you and loves each other. Lord, may our love for you and subsequently our love for each other be so real and life-changing that people who may not know you might be drawn to you as they see you in us. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for your grace poured out in our lives. Be glorified in our worship, in all that we are, in all that we do. And we pray this through the risen Christ. Amen. morning, friends. Uh, Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Uh, Today's reading comes from John chapter 20, verses 10 through 18. It says, Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Before you're seated, take a moment and uh, greet the folks who are here in worship with us today. Human beings love legends, stories. I think part of it's because we we have gaps in uh, what we know about people and things, and we're trying to fill in those gaps, trying to explain things in a way that makes sense to us. I suspect that's probably why, you know, things like the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot... uh, uh, arise because we're looking for a way to explain, I don't know how this happened, I don't know what's going on here. I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, you get all kinds of ideas and theories and stories about things like, uh, you know, John Kennedy's death and subsequent uh, things, events of that. And people are, you know, you hear all these stories coming about and maybe some of them are true, but probably a lot of them aren't. I was thinking about this, uh, this idea of legends and uh, someone said to me after first service that probably for them, you know, one of the great legends is that uh, the Cubs are going to win the World Series this year. Uh, and if you're a sports fan, you know that's, it might happen this year, but the, you know, the Cubs' motto is, this is our year. And it hasn't been for a hundred and some years. But keep believing. Um, 
I, I, there's lots of, you know, urban legends we talk about. It's kind of become a new phrase and stories. And I read one this week, and I have to admit, I had not seen this or heard this or thought of this before. The legend is that um, Mr. Rogers was actually a Navy SEAL before he went on television. And the reason he wore sweaters because he's covered with tattoos and he didn't want to scare the children with those. I'm pretty sure that's not true. Uh, but I was thinking about all these legends because... This story that we read, this account that John gives us about the resurrection, focuses on Mary Magdalene and her, her life and this is filled with all kinds of legends and stories. As people try to get a handle on who this woman is, she's not mentioned very much in the scriptures. All kinds of stories have arisen about her, probably because she's not mentioned very much. And there, you know, there are theories that uh, she and Jesus were involved in a relationship, that they were married, that they had children. I mean, there are all kinds of stories that have come out of that. But what we do know from the biblical text, the truth, is that Mary is a woman that Jesus, for whom Jesus changed her life. Luke 8 says that Mary had seven demons that Jesus casted out of her. I don't know what that meant, she actually was demon-possessed or if she had some mental issues she was wrestling with or just some severe physical issues. But whatever it was, Jesus healed her. And she became a devout follower of Jesus. She's one of the, a group of women who followed Jesus and the disciples wherever they go. And Luke says that they took care of their needs, which may be that they had enough wealth that they could pay for things for them. It probably meant that they went around with them and cooked their meals and maybe did their laundry and just kind of took care of some of those tasks as an act, not of, not of uh, being subservient to them, but just acts of love for what Jesus has done for her. We know that Mary, she's one of the few people mentioned at the cross. When the disciples scatter and run, Mary, along with a few others, sticks with Jesus, watches all the events of the cross unfold. And it's intriguing that when the gospel writers tell the story of the resurrection, there are details that each of them adds that the others don't. There are parts of the story that John has that Luke doesn't, Matthew has that Mark doesn't. One of the parts of the story that every one of the gospel writers mentions is that on early the first day of the week, Easter morning, Mary Magdalene is at the tomb. She's a significant personality in this story. And John gives her a significant amount of space in this story. Mary comes to the tomb early that morning. She arrives, finds, maybe she comes to some other women. She arrives and finds that the stone has not just been moved, but it's probably been picked up and actually set aside, not just rolled out of the groove. She doesn't know exactly what to do with that, but she runs. She gets John and Peter. They run back and they go into the tomb. They see the body's not there. The grave clothes are. They scratch their heads. And they go home. Mary decides that she, she's going to find out what happened. Not, the disciples decide that they don't know what's happened and they go home to ponder it. Mary says, I'm not leaving here until I find out what's going on. And John tells us that she looks in the tomb. She never, he never tells us she actually ever goes in the tomb. I don't know why. But she bends over, looks in the tomb, and she sees not just grave clothes, but two men sitting in there. And John makes a point to tell us that she's sitting, one angel sitting, a man, we find out it's an angel, sitting at the foot, one at the head. I think John is trying to remind us, Jesus is not here. He's risen. That's imperative to get, to get that. 
One more reminder. And they ask her, Mary, why are you weeping? And she's not weeping because Jesus is dead. That has already happened. She's weeping because Jesus is gone. And she believes, probably as do the disciples, that someone came and took his body. And she's not leaving until she finds him. And as she's talking with these men who are angels, she senses someone behind her. You know that feeling? You don't necessarily hear them. Nobody, they don't say anything. You just sense someone's back there and you turn. And here is Jesus, though she doesn't know it's Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener. And he asks her, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And she says, I'm looking for Jesus. Someone has taken him. Did you take him? If you took him, tell me where you put him and I'm going to go get him and bring him back. And he says, Mary. And instantly she knows who he is. I don't think Mary stays at the tomb because she's figured out things that the disciples haven't, and so they go home. I don't want to be too hard on the disciples. I don't want to make too much about this, though John seems to make, say it's important because he makes the statement to make sure we get. The disciples go home, and Mary stays. And I don't know exactly why they go home and, and exactly why she stays, But she does. She is insistent on finding Jesus. She is not going to stop seeking Jesus until she finds him. And there is something in that idea of seeking Jesus that I think is imperative for what it means to be a follower of Christ. This idea of seeking, seeking God, is is woven throughout the pages of Scripture from beginning to end. Over and over again, the writers of Scriptures tell us, seek God, seek God, seek God. In Deuteronomy, Moses says to the Israelites as he is about to, he's about to, to die, and he says, seek God. In the Chronicles, David says, seek the Lord your God with all of your strength. As Solomon is preparing to take over the the reign of Israel and David is preparing him for that, he says to him, Solomon, my son, seek God with all your heart. And we see that repeated over and over and over again. Seek God, seek God, seek God. What does that mean? I've been pondering. What does it mean to seek God? What does it mean to, to, to desire God? There is something about that idea of seeking God that has an earnestness to it, an intentionality about it. We don't seek something just by, by accident. You seek something because you have given yourself to seeking it. It becomes, it's where you invest your energy, your time, your attention, everything about your existence. You give to it. That's what seeking means. You, when you seek something, you uncover it. You know those, those moments when you can't find something and it's valuable and you need it. And for half an hour, you're looking everywhere in your house you can find to look for it. And your house looks like a tornado went through it. Because you're seeking. And when you're really seeking for something, you open every door. Look into every cabinet. You move aside every item of clothing, trying to figure out, what did I do with that? Where did I put it? Where is it? That's what it means to really seek. I think that's a big part of the biblical idea of seeking God. It's an earnestness. It's opening our hearts. It's all of our hearts, all of our being. Wanting God, desiring God, having a passion for God. David writes in Psalm 63 that we are to seek God with all of our heart. Every part of our being. David writes in Psalm 119, he talks about how seeking God is connected to obeying the law. 
And I don't think that means that everyone who obeys the law is seeking God because Jesus tells us that the Pharisees obey the law, but they don't care a thing about God. But if we are seeking God, then doing what God wants us to do is a part of that. I've been pondering, why is it that we wrestle with seeking God? Why is it that, that, we, that we are hesitant to really give ourselves fully to seeking God? And I do think one of the reasons is because we're a little bit apathetic about God. Because we realize that if we're really going to seek God, it's going to mean giving all of our time and energy and attention to God. And we've got other things we want to do with our lives. We have other things in which we want to invest our time and attention rather than God. And so we seek God half-heartedly. We seek God not with our whole heart, but just part of our hearts. We seek God when it feels comfortable. We seek God when we're in trouble. But the writers of Scripture tell us that if you're really seeking God, it's with all your heart, it's with every intent of your mind, it is every part of your being seeking God. And, we obey, and seeking God is obeying God. It's, it's doing what God calls us to do. And I think sometimes it is a fear about what God's calling us to do that makes us hesitant too. If I really seek God, if I open my heart and my mind to God, if, if, I, if I let go of my inhibitions and just say, God, I'm yours, I'm afraid of what God might ask of me. What if God puts his finger on that thing in my life that I don't want to let go of? What if God says to me, you know, you need to go apologize to that person? Or even harder, you know, you have to forgive that person. Or I really believe that your life, you would find fulfillment in me if you are willing to follow this path of your life. If you're willing to go to this place of the world. If you're willing to stay right where you are. And something in the back of our minds is afraid that if we truly seek God, if we truly let go of our demands on God and let him do with us what he wants, which seeking God is going to lead to, he's going to ask things of us that we don't want to do. And he may well do that. And that's where it's imperative that we remember God is, would ask that of us only because he loves us. And what he's asking of us is the pathway to life at its fullest. He isn't asking us to do hard things just because he likes to watch us squirm. He's asking us to do some hard things because if we're willing to do those, it opens us up to him. And the more we open up to him, the more of, of his spirit fills us. And the more of his spirit fills us, the more we live in joy and peace. And we live the life that we were created to live in his grace. We begin to experience what Paul writes about when he says, God wants to do more than you could ever dream or imagine. But it starts with that wholehearted, full-on seeking God. Sometimes we don't seek because we're distracted. You know, we've allowed things to, to get our attention. And we're seeking these things instead of seeking God. Mary misses Jesus partly because she's so... Enamored with the tomb. She, she's so focused on the fact that Jesus is not there, she can't see that Jesus is speaking to her here. How many times do we allow 
lesser things to get our attention. Sometimes the pain of life gets our attention, and we get that. We understand the pain is hard. But somehow in the midst even of our pain, in the midst of our living, in the midst of the things of life, are we seeking God in such a way that we sense him helping us in what we're experiencing? I'm convinced that one of the things for myself, and I suspect it's probably true of you as well, is that I I wrestle with setting I wrestle with setting boundaries on God. And so when I'm seeking God, what I'm seeking is an image of God that I've created about him. Instead of seeking God for who he is. I've got this nice secure box that I've created of God. It makes me feel comfortable and safe. It matches all the things that I want and I like. And I'm afraid that if I really open my heart to God, he's going to shatter that box. And he's going to push the boundaries that I've created and the limitations that I've designed upon him. And he's going to move me to places and things that... I'd really rather not do and go. What I want from God is all the fullness of his spirit on my terms. And he keeps telling us it doesn't work that way. Either you let me be who I, who I am in you, or you're never going to be who you and I want you to be. And so we put these limitations on God. I, I think that's one of the reasons why we struggle with, with listening prayer and contemplative prayer. Because when we are talking to God, who's in control? Us. Right? We control the conversation. You ever been around someone that you're a little nervous about what they may say to you, so you just keep talking? Because if you give them a chance to say what they want to say, they may say something you don't want to hear and just get into a discussion you don't want to get into. So in order to prevent that, you just keep talking. You just keep controlling the conversation. And I think sometimes we do that with God. And all our prayer life is about asking God, talking to God. And we need to talk to God. That's important. But we also need times of silence and contemplation and listening so that God can speak to us but we're a little bit afraid of what he's going to ask of us, how he's going to push us, how he's going to shatter those boxes we've created. And so we keep trying to control him. We miss so much of what he wants to do in us. Jesus says to Mary, go tell my disciples that I'm ascending. And the ascension is is probably one of the most neglected and yet important parts of, of the, the life of Jesus. You know, we, we all get the incarnation and Christmas and, 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 and we, we understand the crucifixion and his death and certainly the resurrection and we look forward to his second appearing. But the ascension sort of stuck in there and it's, it's really neglected. But if he doesn't ascend, he can never reappear. And he tells his disciples, if he doesn't ascend, it's it's at his ascension that that's going to free up the Holy Spirit to come upon them in a way that they can't yet imagine. And he says he has to go so that the Spirit can come. But I also think there is something in this idea of him ascending that says there are no more boundaries on Jesus. No more limitations on Jesus. He's been living for 30-some years in this physical body and, and he has this body. They see him. They talk with him. It's similar but different. But there is this sense of when Jesus ascends, then there are no more boundaries on him, no more limitations. He is, as one person said, let loose in the world. And when Jesus is let loose in the world, all bets are off. 
When we are people who are seeking God, we're excited about that. Because who knows what Jesus is going to do? It's awesome. The things he can do in this world that are beyond our ability to conceive or understand. He works in amazing ways. If we're going to let go of our image of God, if we're going to seek God with all of our hearts, it's going to mean that we have to stop focusing on end results and start focusing our attention on the moments of our journey. Now, you know, it's important to have to think ahead. And it's, it's not wrong to think of where things may lead us. In fact, there's some value to that. But often, our mindset with God is, how fast can I get to this end? How quickly can I get to this place I want to be? And when our focus is on end results, we are tempted to become schemers and manipulators. We're tempted to believe that the end really does justify the means. And it doesn't matter how we get there as long as we get there. And if it means we have to trample some people to get there, so be it. We got to get there. But when I read the scriptures, I find, and when you think about seeking, it's much less about the end than it is about the moment by moment, day by day journey. It's about Christ in the moment of our lives. And whether we ever get to the end that we think really becomes somewhat immaterial. What, what difference does it make? As long as we are focusing on Christ, he will take us to the end that he wants us to get to. And I would suspect it's far better than the end we think we need to be getting to. And if we're focusing on the moment with Jesus, on just life with Jesus as we live it, he may take us on paths that don't look at all like we're getting to the right end. But if we are focusing on him, if we are seeking him with all of our hearts in the moment, it's amazing how we get to the right end. And we become the people he created us to be. And we experience the fullness of God in our lives like we couldn't have imagined. And we start learning to be patient with God instead of asking how quickly he can do what we want him to do. We start seeing him, not just in our lives, but in the lives of other people. We start valuing relationships far more than we tend to do if our focus is on end results. Seeking God is going to be about those moments, about God in our lives today, now. What is God leading me to do now? How is God prompting me about this person right now and this circumstance right now? And having that sensitivity to the Spirit in the moment, like we see in Jesus. It is that, it is that seeking, it is that seeking wholeheartedly in the moment that, that creates the atmosphere in us that Christ is looking for. And we find him. Because our focus isn't on the end, it's on Jesus. It's on what he wants for us. I think that's, it's a seeking heart that Mary has is why eventually she does recognize Jesus. She has such a sensitivity in her heart. Her heart is wide open. Even if she doesn't understand, her heart's wide open to, to, what, to, to the spirit of God that when Jesus says, Mary, she knows it's him. Isn't there something about calling a name? And you look at it and you think, how does she miss him? 
She's staring right at him. Well, part of it, I think, is because of the context. He's completely out of context. She saw him die on the cross. She helped wrap him in grave clothes. She watched as they carried him to the tomb. She was standing there when the stone was rolled in front of the tomb and secured in place. And she walked away knowing Jesus is dead and buried. Why could, why would she possibly think he would not be talking to her? It's completely out of context. I mean, you know that in some form, right? You, you've been in a circumstance where you see somebody and you think, I should know them. How do I know them? And if you're like me, I start thinking about where do I know them? And the context helps me remember who they are. And sometimes even people I know, I, I, I miss who they are because they're, they're, I don't usually see them in that context. I get that all the time. You know, if we're in Olean shopping or Rochester or something somewhere out of the area and we run into families from the church, it's so funny to watch little children. They're like poking their mom and dad. It's Pastor West. It's Pastor West. Why is he here? He should be at the church. Doesn't he live at the church? Isn't he always at the church? And why is he dressed like that? Where's his suit? Come on. You know, and they, they, I've watched them. They just sort of stare like, wait a minute. This isn't right. You know that feeling. Mary, I think Mary has that sense of looking like nothing in her mind would make her think this is Jesus until he speaks her name. And when he speaks her name, there is this intimacy of their relationship that opens her eyes. And the fascinating thing is when we're seeking God, we start hearing him speaking to us and telling us that he loves us and cares for us and we're important to him. And we begin to understand a little bit more and more all the time of the value that God places on us as his children. But if we aren't seeking him, if our hearts aren't open to him, if our minds aren't open to him, we miss that. And we lose out on such a valuable part of our existence as God's beloved creatures. And when Mary hears Jesus' name, what does she do? She worships him. I have the image in my mind of Mary falling flat on the ground with her arms wrapped around Jesus' legs. You know, I have the sense of Jesus trying to walk and he's sort of dragging her along like that, right? You know, um, you can let go now. I mean, she is just so thrilled that all of a sudden the wheels are turning and her eyes are opening and this is Jesus. And she's overwhelmed with worship. And, and that's what happens when we seek him. But you notice Jesus says, don't cling to me. Uh, theologians have debated for centuries what exactly he means by that. And no one's come to a complete conclusion. But in my mind, there is a metaphor here. There's something going on here of Jesus saying, yeah, we, worship is great. And, and I know you, you love me and you're happy to see me. But I have something for you to do. And when we are seeking God with all of our hearts, it never ends with worship. Worship is always the catalyst that draws us close to Jesus and sends us out to other people. See, there's something in us that wants to believe that life at its best would be just me and Jesus and everybody else on their own. But Jesus is clear with his disciples. He did not choose them. He did not, he did not teach them. He hasn't called them to insulate them from the rest of the world and to sequester them from the rest of the world. He has called them and filled them and changed them so that they can be his witnesses to the rest of the world. In John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples and he says, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you that while they're in the world, you protect them from the evil one. Because being in the world is hard. It's difficult. Leaving the comfort and the security of worship is hard. But when our hearts are open to Christ, when our hearts are tuned to him, when we're seeking him with all of our being, 
and we are truly engaged in worshiping him, then like Jesus, we are going and we are bearing witness to him to other people. And we find great joy in watching other people come to experience the grace and the blessing of Christ in their lives like we have in ours. I can tell you, it is one of the most phenomenal things to be a part of. To watch someone's heart opened up to Jesus and to see them changed. That they have discovered in Jesus what we have discovered in Jesus is love and compassion and grace. And when you read the story, Mary is probably one of the most unexpected people to be in this position. She is the first person to see Jesus, to talk with Jesus. She is the first messenger to other people about Jesus. It is completely unexpected that Mary would be that person. Mary is, first of all, she's a woman. And in that culture, women were not reliable witnesses. They couldn't testify in court. People didn't, didn't believe them when they said things. Women had very little status in that culture. They aren't going to have much influence on other people. And if we were to work this out, we would have said, all right, let's find the most influential person we can, a male with great power. Jesus, that's who you peer to first. And then everybody else will go, ooh, we want that. But he doesn't, completely unexpected. And it's not as if that's an accident. I almost get the feeling that the angels and Jesus are hiding around behind the back of the cave. And as soon as the disciples leave, they come out. Because they could have appeared any time. But he doesn't. And it reminds us that God loves to shatter the boundaries, the limitations, the ways in which God works in us and through us. And we need to be looking for God in unexpected people, in unexpected ways. I suspect there are people in every one of our lives that we think I could never learn anything from them. That's probably the person through whom God wants to teach us. I suspect there are circumstances where we would say, that could never teach me anything. Probably it's through that circumstance that God may have something significant to say to us. The unexpected, the unpredictable. God loves to work that way. The question is, are we open to let him? Are we seeking him? The great Methodist... uh, Methodist preacher of England, F.B. Meyer, once said, the greatest disappointment in heaven, if there can be disappointments in heaven, if there can be disappointments in heaven, the greatest disappointment in heaven will come when we realize all that God wanted to do in our lives and through our lives, but we wouldn't let him. Because we created boundaries and limitations. Because we weren't really seeking God with all of our hearts and our minds and with every part of our being. And we miss out on so much of what God wants to do to the risen Christ in our lives. I would be surprised if, as you're sitting here this morning, and including myself, if there isn't some person, some situation, some circumstance in which we have limited God. I wonder if this morning we would be willing to say, God, I want to take a step of trust, of faith. I want to seek you all of my being and let you do what you want to do 
in me through me. Just silence. Give us grace to open our hearts that like Mary, we might see you and let you work in us. Father, give us grace to seek you with all of our hearts and to find you like we couldn't have dreamed or imagined. Through the risen Christ, we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. Bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.